I got to be honest, the only thing that's coming to mind is that thing you talked about one time, the delayed vibrato thing. So... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm Thomas, here with Daniel. And good, morning. good morning to you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get uh, too much into things this morning, we'd like to first thank our patrons over at patreon.com slash reason together. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash reason together. Uh, you can become a, a member there if you like and join the others who have already gone over there and uh, pledged some financial support to this podcast. Uh, that goes a long way in helping us pay uh, the fellow who edits the audio on these and uh, the lady who uh, edits the uh, the blog posts and the website, uh, which happens to also be my wife. So thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> but uh, if you'd like to help support this podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash reason together. And thank you to those of you over there already doing so. We appreciate you. All right. Um, well, um, how have things been going for you? Kind of same old or uh, anything of note? <laughs> you know, that's weird because throughout the weeks uh, as they go by, I think of things that I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's not the same old, same <laughs> old. But then I sit down to this podcast and I don't even remember what those things are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so other, other than those <laughs> things that I've forgotten, it's been the same old, same old. Uh, yeah. Right. Old. Okay. Well, I've had, I've had a project going, uh, or I started it on Tuesday, which has been a fun year kind of for starting to just like hammer on projects a little bit, um, set some goals there. But anyway, probably like most people, I have boxes in my office that have of just papers and such that have accumulated over the years. And when you need to clear your desk, you go, <laughs> You drop it in a box, you know, and that box is, you know, and anyway, so uh, for 19 years, I was kind of pleased with myself that I only have like five boxes or whatever. But then I looked and there's a 18 gallon tote there too. But anyway, uh, there's a few boxes and a tote and, uh, and I put it on February. I'm going to, I'm going to get through those, right? I'm going to organize, start sifting through them, get the stuff where it belongs, trash can, digitized, whatever. And so I started through the first box, box and a half, and it was more taxing than I had anticipated emotionally. <laughs> I said, though, my wife's kind of like your life flashing before your eyes. Uh, I mean, I was going through this college notes. There was notes from the kids. There was, um, you know, uh, information on a mission trip we had taken 11 years ago. I mean, it was, <laughs> you know what I mean? All kinds of stuff. But uh, at least it did provide me one uh, special moment of joy. I laughed so hard uh, because my kids, when they're younger, you know, they start taking sermon notes. And of course, the spelling is horrendous. But but a lot of times that's in the form of pictures. Let's draw a picture of what either is being preached about or something like that. And so there was almost like a comic book style page with like boxes. And, and uh, it was essentially like a, a summary of Paul and Philippi. <laughs> and so there's like a guy at a pulpit in one box. And then there's two guys and a, and a gal. And they're all stick figures. I love stick figures. Um, and, uh, <laughs> and there's stick figures, you know. And I think, I don't know, maybe they're like talking to her and she's got a big smile on her face. I th maybe that was the either that was Lydia or the demonic possessed girl, you know, and then they healed her apparently because then there was these two angry stick men like, 
<laughs> and then there was somebody getting whipped. And, uh, and there was one picture I couldn't, I couldn't quite tell what it was, but I, I thought I knew. Well, I took it home and they told me, and it was so funny when I realized what that stickman picture was. It was two stickmen in stocks, <laughs> you know, and so you got this little stick leg sticking through the holes in the stocks. <laughs> that was that was so funny. Uh, well, uh, stickmen oh, in man. stocks. Anyway, uh, so that was a highlight. I had this. I, I was thinking. I was kind of listening to you and also thinking, what did I do this week? And trying to remember, <laughs> <laughs> trying to answer your question. Um, I remember what it was now I had. So, so we've been, uh, we've been working on expanding our website. Um, so, so I have a, some of you might know this. I have For a business, business on the side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a BMM workshop dot store. Uh, if anyone's interested in uh, manliness, that's right. Yep. Um, we, we shortened it a while back and rebranded it just cause it's easier that way. So that's mm-hmm. Bravo Mike, Mike workshop dot store. Um, but, uh, we've been working on redeveloping that and I'm adding a bunch of new products to it, <clears throat> mm-hmm. kind of taking off in the, the blacksmithing direction there, adding different items, uh, on. And we also started a local, um, kind of a local branch of that, that we're calling Norwich Forgeworks because Norwich is the town I live in. Mm-hmm. We're looking to market nice. like kitchen, kitchen hardware, uh, to businesses around here. <clears throat> uh, cause that's, our hope is that that will kind of support us in ministry. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so, so we, we kind of took off in that direction, hoping to build it up a little bit. And I was at the gym the other day and it was arm day. And, uh, so I well, leave the gym, is... my arms, arm okay. day, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. biceps, triceps, yeah, yeah. shoulders, uh, stuff like that. And, uh, I leave the gym, I come home and I'm getting out my, uh, my to-do list for the day, for the morning. And I look <laughs> at it and I've got like three blacksmithing orders to do. <laughs> Which and is I, like and pound, I'm, pound. I'm like, well, now what? <laughs> so workout number two. Um, so I was completely dead the other day, but I got it done and got them shipped out. And I'm excited because the website's already kind of, uh, it's already bringing in orders, uh, which is hard to do. I don't know if people realize that it's difficult to, to get orders on your own website. There's a lot of platforms out there where you can... Um, have them kind of do advertising for you and people are already on there shopping and like kind of like Etsy, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of easier to get sales on something like that, but your own website is difficult. Um, you're, you're just out there on your own. So, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, the, the redesign and, and rebranding and things like that has really helped. So good. Good. Did you really work on the SEO yeah. there? Yeah, we did. Okay. Yeah, we did, did some tidying up there with the SEO and added some new products. So it, it's a, uh, that's what I've been up to. If, if you asked. All so, right. Yeah. Well, uh, could you, could you move to the left a little bit? Cause all I can see is your bicep in the camera. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> These massive arms. Like, <laughs> I'm a disproportionate man once again. So no, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, let's jump into our list here. I know we've got a couple here that are related. So I thought they would be, uh, uh, good ones to okay. cover. But, um, so uh, let's see here. I believe this is elite patron Matt. Yes, um, writes in. He says, uh, hi, guys. Been meaning to do this for a while. I know he's got a list. He's got more questions coming, which is good. Um, he said, Here's, so here goes my first topic for discussion. Uh, waiting, not, not W-A-I-T-I-N-G, but like uh, the 
weight of things, the weighting of sins. The question of debate is if all sins are weighted the same in the eyes of God, are certain sins when committed considered more grievous to the Lord? Said some sins are classified as abominations. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination. That's where my mind was going first. Yeah. (laughs) And one sin, the unforgivable sin, by definition, unforgivable, Mark 3.29. And uh, if a man commits the sin of lust in his mind, he says it is adultery. We'll comment on that in a minute. Matthew 5, however, committing adultery physically is clearly much more damaging spiritually and physically on many levels. Good point. Are they both equally displeasing to the Lord? From a practical standpoint, I would argue that the actual physical act would be more grievous and displeasing to God. Um, so let's see. And so then he's got a related question, but let's just hit that first. Are there, is there a weighting of sins? Um, that, well, and it's funny because at the beginning of his email, he says, I'll start with a less controversial one. <laughs> Can't wait to see the rest of that list. Um, so I, I would say the answer is kind of yes and no. Um, and I know that may be frustrating to some to hear, but um, I think what makes a sin more weighty in the sight of God, if there is such thing, is not the nature of the sin. It's the nature of the conscience that was willing to conduct the sin. Hmm. And and what I mean by that is that there there are certain sins that people get to a point of doing where it's taken a long time sinning against what they know is right in order to produce that kind of behavior. Mm-hmm. In in my mind I'm going to Romans chapter 1 mm-hmm. which speaks of the reprobate mind, right? Okay, okay. And I see. it's it's like and you, do you you know the meaning of the word reprobate? I I, I bet you do. I I know you do. Um, um, essentially cast off, I guess. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like rejected. And, um, if you read Romans chapter one, the way that they got to that point <clears throat> wasn't because necessarily the sin that they did was more grievous in the sight of God. I think it's all grievous in the sight of God. So in that sense, sins are equal, mm-hmm. but they got to that point by repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly sinning against what they knew it was right. They suppressed righteousness, mm-hmm, according to mm-hmm, that chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they chose to worship the creature more than the creator. They, they put God out of their thoughts, um, and they got to a point where the sin that they committed was grievous, very grievous to the point of being a reprobate, uh, reprobate mind. Um, so am I making sense that, that essentially sin yeah. is sin in the eyes of God, but certain things people don't get to without com- just repeated rejection over and over again. Mm-hmm. In that sense, making it worse. I think uh, I don't, for me, um, asking the question, which is more grievous, I think is a little bit more vague um, than maybe to actually put it in terms of consequences. Obviously, uh, any sin, you know, uh, separates fellowship or has a consequence, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. But certain, as he said, as he made the statement, I thought it was a good statement that um, certain sins are, um, how do you say, more damaging on more levels. And so- I see. So you're talking about the consequences. Yes. So certain sins are much uh, more consequential. They're much more damaging to 
uh, whether it's to the person, uh, maybe he walks through a door that you can't walk back through unchanged. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's one thing if you if you if you say a, a lie and you turn around and say, "I'm sorry, I, that was a lie." Okay, there was really no yeah. harm there in essence. But I mean, if you commit fornication, there's certain things you can't get back. So there, that seems the like a different question to me. Though. Okay, so you know, like the first question being, what is more what is more weighty in the eyes of God? And the second question being, what is more consequential in the behavior of man? Okay. Those, those seem like different questions. So what are we, I guess I'm, I'm wondering kind of what are we asking when we're saying it's weighty in the eyes of God, meaning will he judge it harder or or will it, uh, I mean, I don't, what's the end of the question? What's the point? Or just are we asking about like well, that's, feelings that's why of I, God? Yes, exactly. And because and, and I've been asked that question before. Does God weigh certain sins differently? And what it comes down to is someone suspecting that God might be less offended by one sin versus another. And and I don't think that's the case. I think he's offended equally by all sin. Um, but yet In some sense, yes, because James says, you know, if you've broken one, you've broken you you've essentially broken a link to the chain. So you're guilty right. of guilty of all. So so it's not a matter of, well, I've only broken three of the ten. You've broken yeah. one, so you've broken the law as a unit. Right. Um, though, though not to muddy the waters even further, um, there are instances, if you're, if you're looking at the history of Israel, in which God was patient and long-suffering with them until he finally got to, a, a we might say, a breaking point. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. and yes. He, he would not. He would not He's, strive with the world anymore in the, in Genesis chapter six, and then uh, you know ultimately with Israel, he he strove with them for a while until it was exile time. Mm-hmm, um, right, so sure. <clears throat> at a certain point, something did get bad enough where I don't know God saw it different. Is that making sense? Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd say he saw it different, but yeah, his he decided his mercy was. You know, it yeah. was to 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 punish instead. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't uh, think of a better way to say it than than saw it different. But you, yeah. you know what I mean, I think. Yeah, um, there was something I was gonna. Oh, as far as the unpardonable sin, of course, um, there's different you know thoughts on that. I personally mm-hmm. tend toward the belief that the unpardonable sin was a generational sin. I um, agree. And that was uh, committed by the uh, religious uh, elite of the day when they said uh, he's not, you know, this isn't basically done by God. This is done by the prince of the devils. And they just hold, yeah. But that Um, actually plays into the question quite well, because the reason why that generation of Israel was considered as having done something unpardonable was because of the height of revelation that they'd been given. Yes, and I think that's a very good point that you're making. Is that it's so about they, it's about the degree of light against which they're sinning. Right. So, so that you, takes us back to Romans one then again, mm-hmm. in which they had more and more opportunity to receive Christ, and they kept rejecting and rejecting and rejecting until they got to a point where essentially they were rejected, at least for a time. Yeah, and I I, I think that's a really good angle on it, Tom. Um, uh, to this question, because that makes me think of, you know, the typical, uh, what about the lost in Africa? Will they be lost? Well, they are lost. Mm-hmm. But the question is, are they as accountable with less light than people who in, um, you know, Christianized, if you will, countries who have heard the gospel, who are exposed to the light, who have scriptures readily available, whose cultures are even 
um, you know, uh, immersed in, in biblical ideas. And they are, they are sinning against that light where the, this dark heathen culture over here, yeah, they, they commit adultery, but it's, they're not sinning against the same light as, as this country over here, you know? Right. But that's not to say that they aren't rejecting God. Oh, right. Um, no, no. And, and I think that's, I, I kind of, okay, this is sort of my beef with a, a bit of the whole missions conference sort of thing. Okay. Uh, can I rant for a minute? Okay. A minute. Is it per- permission to rant? Uh, yep. So, so you hear all the, all these unreached people groups talked about and how they've, they've never heard the gospel and, you know, they have, they have no revelation from God as it were. And, uh, essentially that they're just, they're, they're dying in darkness over there and they need someone to go tell them the gospel. And it's like, I understand the sentiments of that, but we need to be asking the reason why no one has been sent to them yet. And we need Mm -hmm. to remember that God is an all knowing and sovereign God. I think that a lot of the unreached people groups in the world remain unreached because they've rejected the simple light that's already been given to them. Romans Mm. chapter one, the light of creation. Romans chapter two, the light of conscience. And instead, they're choosing to worship the creature more than the creator. Uh, They're choosing to reject the simple knowledge that there is one God who's all powerful and made everything. And they'd rather worship the tree or the rock or the stream or the earth or whatever. Um, so for that reason, they remain in darkness. Uh, again, Romans chapter one, their foolish hearts were darkened. So I think that a lot of the unreached people groups in the world, we view them as, you know, they, they, they need our sympathy and we have to send someone to them. And in in a sense, I don't disagree with that, but Mm -hmm. I think many times we view it as it's all in the hands of man and man needs to get his act together and get missionaries over there. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, wait a minute. Does anyone want to ask why? they still haven't had someone called there? I mean, has God been just not caring about them for the last several decades or hundreds of years that he doesn't care to call a missionary to that group? Um, No, it's probably because there's no one there who is actively seeking Hmm. to know God better. Because when they choose to do that, God sends them more information. That's the biblical pattern. Mm-hmm. And not to say that we can't go over and give them more information, even no. if they're not seeking it, and you know, and 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 provide more, you know light that they may not want. Yeah, but. yeah I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't send missionaries to places to find people who might be seeking. I'm not saying that. Yeah, I just think we need to be careful about viewing it as uh, it's all up to me to right. get to places where there isn't the gospel. Well, it's not. Yeah. Um, let me go. He says he has another. He says a related question would Ran be. Over. And it's like, oh, that was about a minute and a half. My bad. <laughs> you know, you know, the preachers. And they just, like it comes off the next rant. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a pre- it's a preacher's minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll be finishing just a minute here. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. He says another related question would be, and I think this is the one that's going to connect us to another uh, question that's been submitted. Um Romans 14.22 seems to give a lot of liberty for Christians to decide according to their own consciences what is right or wrong for them to do personally, as long as it does not violate their conscience, obviously go against scripture, or cause a brother to stumble. One's consideration w- or one consideration would be the eating of meat offered to idols for the weaker brother versus the stronger brother situation. My understanding of this passage is that the weaker brother would be the one with the more restrictive standard, Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, one important caveat to that <clears throat> is that it's not every scenario 
in which someone has to basically be convinced in their own mind because there are things the Bible does speak <laughs> right. directly about. Sure, sure. And we're only um, talking about uh, right. On, right. We're we're yeah, talking about issues <laughs> for which the Bible is silent, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 there are things that the Bible doesn't cover. And there are things that the Bible covers generally enough rather than specifically that it might be considered a gray area. And in those areas, that is where each Christian must be convinced in his own mind, um, which is kind of sort of the gist of, of Romans chapter 14 is let every man be, um, forget how it says, is it convinced or persuaded? I can't recall. Uh, but, good question. <clears throat> yeah. So it's just persuaded. in those areas where... Um, where, where, where it's sort of gray, um, that people need to give each other room to exercise their Christian liberty. Um, yeah. I know is we've that, discussed- is that kind of what you're asking? Well, I know we've discussed this before. I want to ask another thing here. Uh, is that how you would define the weaker brother is the one with the more restrictive standard? The one uh, with a qualification. Uh, mm -hmm. So yes, but with a qualification. The, the Christian brother with the stricter standard who believes the stricter standard is God's ordinance for him. Okay. Yeah, good. Um, so someone can have a stricter standard for a different reason than they think that the Bible commands it. Yeah. Yeah. I would think that someone could just feel that, you know, I want to hold myself personally to this standard because I believe it would please the Lord and that's what I want to yeah. do. And I don't know that I would call that person a weaker brother per se. Uh, it no. may more, it has to, it, really the passage largely has to do with the conscience, uh, the, the issue of the conscience. And so that, and that does bring us to our next question here um yeah which might i might i might i say that this yeah. particular question has been coming up a lot lately okay good like several different listeners have asked this kind of all at the same time uh so branched off of the accountability conversation that we had or just the issue of conscience itself sort of everywhere it's been coming up in several places so it seems like we probably ought to talk about it <laughs> yeah okay good yeah well, um, elite patron Nathan uh, writes in some feedback because we had talked about um, accountability, um, and I was I was asking really what's the uh, yeah I was asking about accountability. What's the teeth of accountability? Meaning, so you're my accountability partner. What can you really do? Why why is it effective or is it necessary? So he said, I'm interested in the accountability question because it touches on something I've thought about for a while concerning being in ministry and knowing many who are pastors, missionaries, etc. I think it's a fairly common thing amongst our like-minded brethren to consider having a group of pastor friends a valuable thing in order to be kept accountable in one's doctrine and practice. Now, he and I talked um, personally. I guess I wasn't maybe as aware of that common thought that it's a good idea to have a group of friends to keep you accountable. Um, to, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a hermit, you know, so that's not a big, it's not a big thing to me. But um, anyway, so he says, for example, a pastor who is a quote, lone wolf, end quote, uh, or doesn't have any close pastor friends may be seen as more prone to change his belief or practice on a particular issue. Or a missionary is sometimes referred to as being accountable to his dozens of supporting churches because they could all drop his support if they don't agree with something he does. I've even heard of ordained men being expected to return their ordination certificate if they change their beliefs in the future. 
Um, now I'm going to stop there and we'll continue on in a minute. Um, my take on that, uh, and I told him so, was that that makes sense because an ordination is um, is a stamp of approval that we as a body of men have tested your doctrine and we can say that, well, we can say that you're orthodox, but we also say that you agree with us, that you have our stamp of approval. And if you ever in the future decide, you know what, I don't want to believe or I don't believe what I used to believe anymore, then you no longer do align with your ordination council. And it would almost be a given that you would revoke your your ordination because that was a stamp of approval that you believed a certain body of doctrine, which if you no longer believe, then yeah, they, they're going to say, well, then you're no longer ordained by us. You know, I think that's just fair and legitimate. But what do you think? Mm, I can see where you're coming from. But part of me wonders if, if in that sort of system, there's no room built in for maturing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some beliefs that are come to from the process of maturing. And depending on the group that's doing the ordaining, they might hold positions that are immature in doctrine. They might hold positions that they haven't fully developed yet. They're simply party line, we might say. And essentially, you're giving the candidate no room to ever grow and mature. And you end up with like what I remember hearing in Bible college, the preacher standing in the pulpit saying, you know, I haven't changed in 40 years. Well, I mean, that's a problem. Um, how, How can we say in one breath, that it's good to change and grow and develop doctrine further, but in the next breath, you're not allowed to do that. Otherwise, you have to turn in your ordination papers. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and it's not to say that every ordination council is correct, but obviously the concept of ordination from any council um, has to do with your uh, them recognizing your uh, that you are solid in a certain body of doctrine. Now, it's not to say that you should uh, at all costs try to please those men or stay within that body of doctrine. If you feel like you grow Mm -hmm. and you, you, in your conscience, you feel that I don't believe that anymore, then okay. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't fault them for saying, um, well, you need to turn, you know, you need to rescind your ordination. Well, Well, I I remember, I remember even at my own ordination, half the men in the room didn't agree on, on several issues. And there were times where, where, Pastor Dietrich, the moderator, had to kind of bring things back around to the to the point of why we were there that day, because a subject would come up and the men in the room would disagree, and there would be uh, it didn't get heated, it didn't get ugly, but there would be some some pretty lively discussions happening for several moments in the room. So it's like within so, the ordination body itself, they didn't all agree. So yeah, how, but that well, in yeah, ours, I mean, didn't that didn't that show you though? that they understood that maybe those those particular angles on those beliefs weren't weren't the fun weren't the foundation or the core of what you had to believe to be an orthodox preacher right but they then were you're willing getting to into still the, ordain you but then you're getting into the thing we decry all the time on this podcast who gets to decide what is an essential doctrine for fellowship and what is not do you, do you see what i'm saying I do a little bit, but I mean, I guess your point is that they were wrangling and yet they still ordained you. So they gave you liberty to disagree and to grow, right? Uh, even on, if certain, they, on certain issues, sure. Right, on certain issues. And so <clears throat> issues it, they decided were necessary for fellowship or not necessary for fellowship. Yeah, right. Um, and so, 
So, I mean, they gave you latitude. Not all ordination councils maybe would, but um, but they did, recognizing that they could grow. So I'm just pushing back a little bit on the you can't grow thing. In that case, they're saying, you know, maybe they, even in their minds, they thought, well, Tom, if you studied this more, you'd agree with me. <laughs> you know, and the other guy thinks, well, actually, if you study more, you'd, you'd agree with me. Yeah. But the point is, they still felt like you are you are orthodox. You're within the pale of what we believe you need to believe in order to, you know, preach sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he was... He mentions that ordination issue. Then he says, while I appreciate this, back to Nathan's question here, while I appreciate this idea that having good Christian friends in ministry can help one stay on track, I wonder at what point does the accountability to friends become a detriment to the pastor, missionary, etc., thinking on his own. As a young man headed Mm. into ministry, I'm very eager to learn the Bible as thoroughly as I can, yet there have been times when I have hesitated to dig deeply into a biblical topic for fear I may come to a different conclusion than those whose friendship I value. I realize mm-hmm. that this displays a motive of pleasing men, but is that not the natural result of seeing one's friends as accountability in ministry? And that's that's kind of what I was asking with the accountability question was, what what is what's the motivating factor there? Is it that, oh, I want to be a man pleaser or is it, is it the embarrassment? If I come back and I can't answer you the way I wanted to, you know, um, or or whatever. So I was that's what I was asking kind of partly last time. Uh, it's it's it could also be the loss of investment. <clears throat> and I'm not necessarily talking about money. Um, you know, you spend your life invested in certain circles of people and then immediately you you come out with a different uh, position on something and you're convinced that it's right. And you've studied it thoroughly. And what you start to realize is that certain, certain accountability groups are very much like the Jews were in the first century. Um, let, I mean, to explain that, let me, let me sort of back up and tell a story. So we all know that the Sabbath was one of the Ten Commandments, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, keep the Sabbath. Um, it's a holy day, right? Unto the Lord. Because the Lord rested on the, uh, the seventh day. Uh, and Israel was commanded to keep the Sabbath. Uh, it was kind of a memorial of their covenant with God in one sense, but it was also for them personally so that they would rest. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. And somewhat, it wasn't too general. There were certain things they couldn't do on the Sabbath day, but overall it was a general principle of do no work, do no work. Right, right. <laughs> But what you end up with is a bunch of Jewish uh, scholars sitting around and debating what is the meaning of work? What's Mm -hmm, the definition of work? What constitutes work? And by the time you get to Jesus' day, you have guys who literally think the slightest thing is work. So they see Jesus' disciples uh, grabbing some bits of grain from a field while they're passing by, and they rub it in their hands to husk it, and they eat it. And they're accused of working on the Sabbath day. Um, now, do, do you see what, what happens is that when mankind starts to hold each other accountable, which was part of part of Israel, right? In Leviticus, if you read Leviticus, if man broke the Sabbath, that was a capital offense, mm-hmm. right? So there was accountability baked into the cake. Accountability is good. But when man starts to add his own spin on what the definition of work is, starts to bulk up the various rules surrounding the word work, what you end up with is people holding each other accountable with fear 
with man's ordinances, not God's ordinances. And you see where I'm going with this to Nathan's question is that accountability is good today as long as you have the right kinds of friends, (laughs) friends who hold you accountable to what the Bible actually teaches are good friends, friends who hold you accountable based on fear of various ordinances that man has created. Well, now you've got the wrong kind of friends. The problem is, is that you, you get invested over the course of your young life in certain circles. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. many of those circles believe things that are extra biblical standards, right? We talked about standards earlier on in the podcast. Suddenly you come out with a belief that that standard is actually not biblical or necessary. That someone who is mature in the faith can take a different view on that standard because the Bible doesn't cover it. And then you end up getting castigated and maligned and separated from and all these other things. Well, you've just revealed you have the wrong kinds of friends. Does that make sense? So accountability Mm -hmm. is good, but you have to have the right kinds of friends. Yeah. And I mean, I know this sounds overly analytical, but I wouldn't even necessarily call that person a wrong kind of friend, but maybe just a, um, you know, in that they're intending to you know, uh, manipulate you or anything like that, but they just, um, they, uh, they're a friend with whom you disagree. They don't, and they don't, um, yeah, I would say just maybe friends who have mistaken the, what's the phrase uh, you use Isaiah. You, I just studied it with somebody yesterday. Um, you know, based essentially the idea of teaching for commandments, the doctrines of men, right. um, that we've, and Isaiah references that, that they've taught the fear of the Lord by the ordinance of man or something like that, uh, that he, here's what, here's what, you know, God designed for you. And it happens to be a list of rules that I made, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And, and right. so if you, if you, uh, adhere to that list, then you are spiritual and now yeah. you can judge other people who aren't as spiritual as you based on the things that you do. Yeah. Um, well, and it's not just uh, it's not just standards either. It's sometimes even aspects of pet doctrines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, there are people that take doctrinal issues way too far into the weeds, mm-hmm, you know, as far mm-hmm. as, you know, defining the actual meaning of the word ecclesia in the New Testament. And it ends up being a semantical argument that didn't allow for how the New Testament uses certain words uh, and so on. And people debate over that and they separate over that. And, uh, you know, I understand there is, there is an actual position on that biblically, but people then start to inject man's thoughts into it so much mm-hmm. that they're dis- that they're distancing themselves from each other over an issue that really the Bible hasn't gone as far as they're going. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, the, and right. there, there's some the same things that can be said, and this might anger some people over the text issue. There's same things that can be said over that. People sometimes take that way too far. Um, but I realize how I might be sounding to some people there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Uh, it's true. There are, there are doctrinal issues that people can take too far to where they're now holding you accountable to a standard that the Bible hasn't really uh, gone yeah. as far as you're going. Right. I do understand. Let me finish Nathan's questions here. He says, um, a particularly interesting passage, and this relates back to our other question, is 1 Corinthians 8, which talks about respecting the convictions of other believers that are different from yours. Paul is very clear in this chapter that eating meat offered to an idol means nothing. Uh, Verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. 
Uh, and yet in verses 10 through 11, Paul says, for if any man see thee, which has knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him, which is weak, be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Is It seems that Paul is saying that the believer who openly eats the meat and causes another believer to eat in violation of his conscience is guilty of being a stumbling block, correct? Even though mm-hmm. it's not wrong to eat the meat. Mm-hmm. This is mind-blowing to me because it seems to say that pressuring someone into doing something against their convictions is wrong, even if the thing they're doing is right. And that's yes. a... That is a correct observation that it's not the thing in and of itself that is wrong. It's the violation of the conscience that is wrong. That's what's being dealt with there. So he says, so to return to my question, if a man comes to a conclusion from Scripture that is different from that of his college professors, his pastor friends, his supporting pastors, etc., should he accept any pressure from this friend group that is supposedly keeping him accountable to form his thoughts on the matter, or is that just peer pressure? What would your answer to that final question be? It's going to be the classic reason together answer. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, don't you? It depends. Um, it depends. <laughs> Period. That's going to be um, on our, one of our merch shirts eventually. Yeah, it th- there, it, yeah, there is a place for discernment and it is going to be different for each person and who their friends are and how they're going to handle that. So if you come to a different conclusion than your college professors, the answer to whether or not you address that with them kind of depends on them not so much you. Um, so if if they are reasonable men who hold a position, who are able to, to think with you through something and talk with you through something and even continue to be your friend, uh, despite you taking a slightly different angle than they are, uh, you, might, you might feel okay uh, talking with them if they're approachable. If they, on the other hand, are so fragile in constitution that the moment you disagree with them, they blow up they won't take any more questions. They won't just have call any you more a discussion. Name, disown you. <laughs> yeah, just disown you. If if those are your college professors, like I said, you may have the wrong kinds of friends. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's going to depend. Um, that that's yeah. Similar to the answer I gave him, and it really goes to the concept, the idea underlying this entire podcast that we reason together and we're willing to um, hear someone's. Uh, if you will, disparate um, um, conclusion or question without calling names immediately, but talking through the issue. And and I had right. mentioned this in, in personal uh, conversation that um, just something very similar to what you said, that if you have a, if you have, and honestly, any good biblical friend is going to apply pressure to you. That's a part of iron sharpening iron is that you throw out a, an idea and he says, yeah, but how about this? And he, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll sharpen that a little bit. And you're like, hmm, okay, well, what about this? And you and you throw it back and forth. Um, it's just not like you're two tape players, you know, playing right. at the same time and saying the right. same thing. It's that you're actually honing each other along the way. And that's done, if I can use the term, by applying a pressure. So there is a Anytime you're you're in a good conversation with somebody, you're feeling maybe a pressure of sorts. So the mm-hmm. peer pressure, if you will, isn't the bad part. But if you just sense the pressure of maybe their disapproval and their disowning, but they're not willing to talk it through with you and 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 reason with you through the argument, because maybe, maybe you are wrong. 
You know, maybe there's a facet of what they say that you don't understand, whatever. Um, and before you throw it out, they might want a chance to kind of defend their position. Okay. Yeah. Well, talk to them about it. But, and if they can do that, then great. That pressure can be a positive thing. Um, so yeah. I wouldn't just say cast off all pressure and say, well, you don't have, I'm not accountable no. to you at all. And again, that whole concept of accountability, but, uh, I think maybe it's different than the pressure of the friend, but, right. uh, you do have some accountability to, to friends in a sense that if I'm, if I'm your friend, um, yeah. I, I care about you and I want God's best for you. And so if I see you making a mistake, I would maybe confront that or address that and say, hey, wait, what, what is your thought process here? Why are you doing but, that? But you see, you see the nature of the discussion, though, is what you think is a mistake might actually not be, mm-hmm. depending on who you are in the conversation. Sure. You, but you know what I mean? Talk about that, I think. And um, right. I mean, and understanding his jurisdiction, not sticking his nose in everywhere. But I mean, <clears throat> a friend would but, want but to apply but, pressure. Right. But that's why he's referred to as the weaker brother in these conversations is because he sees something you're doing as wrong when it actually isn't. He sees you as not having liberty to do that thing when there actually is. The weaker brother has a theological problem. He's making something go farther than the Mm -hmm. Bible has said. Mm -hmm. That person has a theology problem. And they're called the weaker brother because they can't handle it when someone disagrees with the issue that they've brought up. They can't handle it. They immediately call you the devil or think of you as the devil and think it's necessary to separate from you because they think that you're sinning when you really haven't. That's why they're called the weaker brother. They have, and I like to use the term, a hypersensitive conscience. It's Mm -hmm, good to have a mm -hmm. sensitive conscience. The weaker brother has a hypersensitive conscience. He doesn't see that certain certain things are actually permissible according to the Bible. He's made all these sorts of extra biblical tangents that he now holds others uh, to the same standard. He holds others to that when really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's got a theological problem. Yeah, and I would I would say my only caution with that discussion, or one caution with that discussion of the weaker brothers when people say, "So you're saying that the weaker brother is the person with the stricter standard." No, it's it's like you said earlier, it, the, 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 you have to define it fuller than that, because otherwise you'll look at anybody with a stricter standard than you and they're the weaker brother. Right. Well, no, because their standards might actually be built on biblical principle or biblical yeah. thought. And so, so somebody, you say there's a theological issue well, on the well, no. weaker brother side, but there might also be a theological issue on the other side that somebody's not applying enough. Right. But right? you just said two contradictory things there, though. Um, if, if he's having an extra biblical standard, but then you say it's based on biblical principles, well, then it's not an extra biblical standard. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the weaker brother is the one who does have a standard, but it really, there is liberty in scripture to have a different viewpoint on that without being wrong. Yes. And see, and see if you have that extra biblical standard and someone else disagrees with you and you think they're wrong, well, you're the weaker brother. But that's who you are. On the flip side, if you find liberty in scripture where there technically should not be, I don't know that I'd call you a weaker brother, but we'd call you maybe more immature, right? Um, Libertine. Libertine. Okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a good part of the discussion there. Um, So yeah, that's, I I feel like there's some, you know, that's a a good question to wade through as far as the whole peer pressure thing that I think there, there is some value there, but ultimately... You've got, to, you've got to educate your own conscience. You've got to dive into scripture. And if it means separation from friends, 
can we have a reasoned discussion over that? Yes. But ultimately you've got to let the truth be your guide and you have to be yeah. true to your conscience. You can't, yeah. you can't live a certain way, violating your conscience constantly to appease this group of people so that, you know, you're not just cast out into no man's land. Yeah. Um, you've got to, you've got to stand on what you believe is right. And, um, yeah, Absolutely. So, so what we're saying is it's good to have accountability with the right kinds of friends, but you also have to be willing to be the lone wolf. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there has to be accountability is to scripture. Right, right. You have to be willing to be the lone wolf because, you know, sort of like what he's describing in his question is what if, what if you spent your life only to find out that the college professors, pastor friends, supporting pastors, all these things, you know, what if, and this is just a hypothetical, what if you come to find out later that you're involved in a movement that really sees something the wrong way? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you do then? You're invested now. Um, what do you do? <laughs> um, that's a complex question that I don't have an answer for. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you have to be willing to be the lone wolf at times um, with discernment. And, um, and, and we can, we can certainly recognize, um, the difficulty of that decision. I mean, mm -hmm. I think about some, uh, somebody I, I was aware of on a financial level, you know, part of a certain, um, how would you say a certain, uh, you know, group of churches. Well, in that group of churches, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, financial package as far as your retirement or whatever. Well, if you finally separate from that church group and you lose your retirement, you're like, well, I'm 30 years in whatever that would, that would be quite a sacrifice. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I can understand the difficulty of that decision on a human level to go, boy, that's a pretty, you know, it's easy for us to go, well, yeah, just, you know, be the lone wolf. But when you're looking at your own group of friends and people that you respected and you learned from and, and, uh, and, and it makes you question yourself, whatever, but ultimately the answer still remains that you have to be true to scripture and true to your conscience. Um, yeah. so good. Hey, uh, we need to go and we're right about spot on time. And there's um, so much more that could be said. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. Subject. Yeah. So yeah. More. And so it listeners, if you have a, another spin or you want us to kind of, hit a certain point again, like for clarification, or you have a different angle, maybe another, um, another question related to this, please feel free to share it. Reason together podcast at gmail.com. Again, it's all one all together reason together podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to have your thoughts, your questions and, uh, and deal with them on another episode. Yes. Thank you for being with us on this episode. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Mm -hmm.